Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Our topic of conversation today is going to be um, osteoporosis. And yep. that really follows well from our previous talk on um, bone physiology and bone homeostasis mm. uh, and calcium homeostasis. Yes. So if you guys are not too sure about what we're about to talk about, please go and have a listen to our previous episodes. It you know, sets the picture for what we're about to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, before we talk, we always like to define some of the terms we're about to use. Yes. So should we start by defining what osteoporosis is? Let's Andy? go for it. Yep. So do you want to maybe explain that a little bit? Yep. So you've got osteoporosis where it is a reduction in the, norm, the amount of bone that density. you have. I yeah. think it's trabecular bone to be specific. But um, this density can decrease and it's up to a certain point where you actually yep. start calling it osteoporosis. Mm. So a slight reduction in uh, this bone density would be called, I think you, you called it osteopenia. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's over until the certain point where it's called osteoporosis and can you give me that line of where that would be? How about we don't go into that yet? Let's talk okay. about when we talk about diagnosis, we'll define it a little bit further. Sure. But yeah, like you mentioned, there's a so you've got this pre-disease, which is called osteopenia, where you're losing a bit of bone. Mm-hmm. And then after a criteria set, set by the World Health Organization, once you reach that and exceed that, that's when the disease is defined as osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. There's another sort of terminology that you may come across, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's called osteomalacia. Do you want to mention maybe what that is? Yeah. So osteomalacia is in contrary, is a condition where there's insufficient calcium and phosphate to mineralize the bone. Yeah. Um, so the bone is softer and more uh, more likely to bend or deform or fracture. Yeah. Um, so both conditions, osteoporosis and osteomalacia, predispose the ability of the bone to actually cause fractures. Yeah. But osteoporosis is normally mineralized bone, where there, but there's just less of it, whereas osteomalacia is where there's actually less minerals inside the bone. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess you guys are probably wondering, well, you know, yeah, this, these patients have low bone mineral dis- density. You know, why do we care? The reason we care is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it does increase the risk of fractures, particularly mm-hmm. neck of femur or hip fractures or spinal mm-hmm. fractures. Mm-hmm. And these can have significant comorbidities in the elderly population. And in mm-hmm. fact, um, I think a, a Cochrane review or a review was published uh, a while ago that said if you develop bone fractures and you're greater than the age of 70, uh, I think the mortality can be as high as 10 to 20% wow. over 12 months. So it, it's pretty bad. And that's why we, you know, we want to cover this topic, but also to talk about some of the management and how we can prevent it as well. Mm-hmm. But before we talk about it, let's yep. talk about some of the risk factors for osteoporosis. Yep. Do you want to maybe mention some of the key risk factors? Yep. So the main ones, the primary ones are where the osteoporosis is unrelated to any other diseases. Yep. So this, the main factors that would affect cause osteoporosis is aging. Yep. And another one would be postmenopausal. So that, right. that's the definition of primary osteoporosis, yeah. where it's just natural aging processes. Yeah, and yep. we mentioned previously how important estrogen was to yep. bone formation. So the moment uh, women who drop out, uh, who have a reduction in estrogen produced, yep. will start to see bone levels starting to drastically decrease. That's well. right, yeah. exactly. And the secondary type of osteoporosis is due to disease processes. For example, inflammatory diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis can have probably from the medications that are prescribed for it, but also yep. the disease itself. Yep. Environmental factors can, can cause that as well. So calcium deficiency, um, alcohol intake, mm-hmm. and also uh, endocrine pathologies like Cushing's disease where you have high levels of glucocorticoids circulating. Yep. There's lots of risk factors. So lack mm-hmm. of weight-bearing exercises or lack of exercise, dietary risk factors such as low calcium, mm-hmm. and vitamin D as well. Mm-hmm. Are there any other lifestyle-wise? Well, I, lifestyle-wise, I think... Um, 
I think like smoking and alcohol, those yeah. kind of things we've mentioned. Yeah. But there's also, I guess, like family risk factors, like genes wise. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you, some families have a predisposition to have low vitamin D receptor levels that, that could reduce the amount of bone that is yep. built up until the peak bone age at 35. That's right. Exactly. Now, now that we mentioned the risk factors. Yeah. How do you diagnose a patient that comes, let's say, in, into a surgery mm. um, and suspects that, you know, and you suspect they might have osteoporosis? How do you actually diagnose it? Mm. You mentioned there was a cutoff, wasn't there? Let's yes. talk about the cutoffs now. Yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you generate these cutoff values. Well, you, you go and get a bone mineral density scan. Yep. And um, so are these the same as DEXA scans? The, this is a DEXA scan, yeah. 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 So you go and get these scans done and then they spit out these two values. One is a T-score value. Yep. And that is the main one that we look at. Yeah. Um, a T-score value and the WHO defines it as less than two point, uh, less than a negative 2.5. Yeah, so it's two and a half. I think it's two and a half standard deviations away from the normal mm. average. Yeah. So if you're less than two and a half, that's significantly away from the normal population. So you, then you suspect that this, these patients may have osteoporosis. What's the cutoff for osteopenia? Osteopenia. I think it's as long as you're bet- less than one standard deviation to less than two point five. Yeah. So between negative one and negative two point five, that's called osteopenia. And one thing that probably we need to mention is that. The T score it compares your your current bone density to someone of the normal, healthy thirty five year old density level. Exactly, and the reason we do that is because your peak mineral bone density is usually achieved by the time you're thirty five. Yeah, and then from there onwards, your bone density is naturally going to decrease. Mm. The way I remember the difference between the T and the Z score is yeah. so T score is comparing you to a younger population. Yes. And the way I remember is T for teenager. So the teenager <laughs> being a younger person. Yeah. But obviously in this case it's referring to a 35 year old, but it's a good way of remembering. Yes. I like it. And Z score is how many standard deviations you are away from your own population group. Yes. I think the reason why Z score is important is that it can allude to secondary causes of bone loss. So if your bone mineral is less than what your own age group is, something is going wrong yes. that's causing you to lose a lot more bone. Whereas if your bone mineral density is less than your, your the younger patient, yes. that could be just due to natural processes. Yes. So that's the difference. That So Z-score is used to look at secondary causes of bone loss yep. and T-score is looking at you know primary causes. Oh, that is brilliant. Yep. Um, let's talk about some... You mentioned DEXA scan. Yep. Um, there's two types. Can you maybe mention mention the two? Yeah. So I think what you're referring to is DEXA scans could be done on the spine yep. or it could be done on the hip. Yes. If you look at the spine, what they do is that they predict uh, the possibility of spinal fractures. Yes. It's great for monitoring as well as looking at treatment. Yeah. Um, uh, and w- the thing is, if you look at the spine, I do a DEXA scan on the spine, apparently that gives you a good idea of the trabecular bone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so what's the difference between that and the hip? So in the DEXA scan of the hip, it can look at the femoral neck. It can look at the intratrochanteric um, or tr- the, the trochanter as well. Yeah. Um, and it's predicted for both hip and spine fractures. And I think the DEXA scans of the hip are more frequently done for that very reason. Uh-huh. And it, instead of looking at the tra- trabecular Bone, which is the soft spongy bone yes it's looking at the cortical bone which is the you know what forms let's say the shaft of the bone and things like that yeah and so i think the extra scan of the hip is more frequently done if i'm not mistaken yes but they're, they're the two common modalities that are used but it's really easy to do, and it's associated with low radiation exposure, but there are some limitations aren't there andy with dexa scanning do you want to maybe elaborate on that a bit mm. more so one thing is that these dexa scans they're great at looking at the 
the amount of bone there. So it looks at the density. But what it doesn't do is that it doesn't look at the quality of that bone. Yeah. So the microarchitecture, it's hard for them to tell whether if that bone is really... Um, it's, it's structured well. Yeah. So you can have apparently really dense and dense bone, but if it the microarchitecture is crap, then you're still going to have it fractured. Exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. And also, so it looks at the density of the bone, but it doesn't look at the depth of the bone, right? So you can oh. have really dense bone mm-hmm. near the periosteum, which is closer to the surface. surface. Yeah. But it could be really low density deeper in. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the density is going to be normal mm-hmm. in both in that scenario but the actual like you alluded to the architecture itself is still faulty and it's not actually really dense across the bone it's only oh. dense at a region and so oh. it doesn't detect it yeah but it's the best tool we have and it has been there's quite a lot of evidence supporting its utility and it's yeah. used particularly for predi- predicting fractures sure so we've mentioned about diagnosis yeah how do we prevent people with developing osteoporosis what we can do as a primary prevention is just to try and encourage people to increase the amount of peak bone mass before they're 35. Yeah. But then, let's say, most of the patients that start to have or develop osteoporosis are later on in life. So mm-hmm. it's a bit too late for them to try and increase them, increase that mineral density before that point yeah. in time. Yeah. Um, so we've got drugs. Yeah. But is, is, that, uh, is there anything else that you want to add? Yeah. So I guess even if you're, um, even if you haven't reached your, if, even if you've reached your peak mineral density, you can still slow the absor- resorption of bones. And okay. that's to do weight bearing exercises, for example, yeah. and minimizing the lifestyle risk factors such as smoking and alcohol intake. Yeah. And drugs that specifically cause bone loss, for example, um, glucocorticosteroids for um, autoimmune conditions that, yep. that, that may, may be used mm-hmm. um, and ensuring that they have adequate calcium and vitamin D intake as well are really important approaches. But there are pharmacological ways. So once a patient's developed mm-hmm. osteoporosis that we can use, and there are really four key classes, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Do you want to talk about the anti-resorptive agents? Yes. So these guys, they prevent the bone being resorbed. And so they... These, I think the main classes that you would think about it are the bisphosphonates. They're, yep. they're really commonly heard of. And um, if you haven't heard of it, try and remember this name, the bisphosphonates. Do you want um, to maybe mention an example, like a commonly one? There's two yeah. that are commonly well, prescribed, aren't they? Alendronate, that's yeah. quite commonly seen in the um, community. And I think zolendronic acid, that's yeah. an IV that's most often seen in hospital. Yeah, and that's usually once a year um, mm. given to it. Now, let's... Talk a little bit more about bisphosphonates because there's a couple of important things that are related to it from okay. a um, therapeutic point of view. Sure. One, their absorption is quite poor, so patients need to often take this on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. It can cause esophagitis, mm-hmm. so patients need to remain upright for at least half an hour mm-hmm. um, to minimize that. Yep. There's a really, really rare side effect that we always get yep. worried about, isn't there? So that I think that's called the osteonecrosis of the jaw, yeah. ONJ. Mm-hmm. Sounds like orange juice, ONJ. Yep. But anyways, um, yeah, so osteonecrosis of the jaw and that's just because the jaw from from what i read was that the jaw really requires you to constantly turn over this bone and and, and make it um so keep it fresh and new whereas these guys they stop the resorption so the bone stays the way it is and if you go to a dental appointment and the dentist does major constructive surgery that can lead to this particular because the bone can't fix itself now can it because you so we haven't mentioned but um bisphosphonates inhibit osteoclasts and osteoclasts are important for bone resorption yeah um there's a couple of there's a new one on the market now in australia as well mm-hmm. and that's called denosumab yeah um how does that work it's a monoclonal antibody that um, affects rank l 
And yeah. what it, and we've mentioned rank kill in previous yeah. talks, haven't we? We have, yeah. yeah. So I think rank, uh, if I'm not mistaken, rank is produced by osteoblast and it binds to the rank ligand on osteoclast to bring yep. about its activation. Mm-hmm. And this essentially inhibits that binding and so you don't activate osteoclast mm-hmm. and so you don't get bone resorption yep. and i think that's a six monthly injection that is given to patients mm. and i think it's generally well and it's been proven to re- decrease vertebral hip and non-vertebral fractures i think in australia the criteria for subsidizing a lot of these drugs they need to show yep both prevention increasing bone mineral density or prevent changes in bone mineral density but also preventing fractures because that's what you want to really avoid yep now there are hormones as well aren't there and mm. that, that we can prescribe to a certain group of um, yep. patients what are, what is that so we mentioned that estrogen is very important in actually preventing bone loss yeah and so um so what some people have gone ahead and done is using selective estrogen receptor modulators that work mainly on the bone rather than breast tissue. Mm. We've come across this group mm. of agents before, haven't we, for breast cancer? Yeah. And these guys instead of well, yeah, these guys can be used in a sense to to affect to target the estrogen receptors on the bone to prevent bone loss. Yeah. And improve the bone mineral density at the site. Um and and yeah, is there anything else you like And I to think the with? example of this being, I think there's one that targets the bones, and that is raloxifen, or the brand name that we have in Australia is Avista. Mm. Um, so don't be confused. So selective estrogen receptor modulators, and another example of that is tamoxifen, but that specifically targets the estrogen receptors in the breast tissue yes. and spares the bone, whereas this one is targeting the bone. Um, the bone. Spares, and it's actually spares. an agonist, not an antagonist, mm. whereas tamoxifen is an antagonist. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, and then there's also... The, we can give vitamin D, but I think vitamin D is a bit controversial because it hasn't really been shown to reduce fractures, um, mm. uh, whereas the other treatments have been shown to do that. Yeah. Now, let's talk about some anabolic agents because this is really interesting. This is very new as well. Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe mention an example of that? Yeah. There's only one, I think. Yeah. yeah. And this one was um, called teriparatide. So it's a analog of the parathyroid hormone. Yeah. Um, so it's called an anabolic agent because it actively goes ahead and builds up bones. Yeah. Whereas compared to the previous one, the anti-resorptive agents, they stop bone breakdown. So that's one. But they don't cause bone buildup. No, they? exactly. Yeah. So that's one very important thing to to um, be aware of. So teriparatide, it, it uh, I think what it does is that it actually somehow manages to increase the osteoblast from uh, increase the osteoblastic activity. Yeah. But, could you elaborate a bit? I think what happens, so as you guys know from our previous talk, we mentioned that parathyroid hormone causes resorption of the bone. Mm-hmm. But if you give it in intimate boneless doses, it actually paradoxically increases osteoblast activity and decreases <laughs> osteoclast activity. Yep. And that's why you give it in small, short dosages. But because of this osteoblastic activity, it's only limited for 18 months of use because I think in animal models, it's been shown to increase bone can- risk of bone cancer. Uh-oh. I'm not sure whether this has been shown in, in humans, yep. but it, in animal models, there's that risk or there's precautions of not using it for greater than 18 months. Yep. Let's finish up our talk by mentioning about these dual agents. And I think the name kind of gives it away. So what do, what do we mean by these dual agents? So these dual agents would both increase bone formation as well as decrease bone yeah. resorption. So it and sounds I think like there's one in, in this class. Yeah. So it sounds like the best of both worlds were the one above. But this guy is called strontium uh, ralinate. Yeah, strontium ralinate. I think it's just called strontium. Like I'm always here as yeah. strontium. Um, the brand name for that one is called Protoss. Yeah. And um, so with these guys over here, they decrease the amount of 
uh, bone resorption, but will also at the same time increase bone formation. Yep. Um, they have been demonstrated to reduce the amount of vertebral and non-vertebral fractures, so that's great. But unfortunately, I don't think it's as commonly used as the anabolic agents. No, it's not. Uh, uh, like just, it's not used oh, so as not, commonly. Not anabolic. I meant the uh, um, uh, the, the anti-resorptive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the reason it's not used is that firstly, that it comes in like a two-gram sachet. So you know, imagine this elderly, you know, seventy-year-old female mm. drinking this massive glass of water mm. yeah you know potentially um twice a day. i think it's twice a day or once a day mm. but pretend yeah drinking this massive you know disgusting tasting sort of sachets mm. a day and also in terms of its absorption it's very limited mm. and it faces you know potential interactions with food and things as well so it's yeah it's effective but it's not really popular in australia it might be popular overseas or elsewhere i don't know yeah so we mentioned in terms of the three classes we mentioned the anti-resorptives which just inhibit um bone breakdown but they don't cause bone resorption anabolic yep. agents cause bone resor- uh, bone formation yeah and then we've got these dual agents such as strontium which does both yeah is there anything else you want to add before we finish uh no and i think that if you guys want to do some bit more reading just have a look at how they work and i think it goes hand in hand with the bone physiology exactly how it's built up how it's broken down if as hamid earlier mentioned mentioned earlier if you forgot how that exactly that works go um go back to yeah. the podcast and have a listen Exactly. And we should have mind maps to cover um, osteoporosis and future topics that we're going to talk about as well. So do visit our website for um, further resources. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. Or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.